Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey, nerds. Welcome to episode 526 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. Just Adam today. I have a really great conversation for you with Patricia Engel, who is the author of the fabulous new book, Infinite Country. Uh, Previewed it last week during our best March books preview, and uh, it's out on March 2nd. So tomorrow, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, it is just such a phenomenal book um, about a family who has to make a lot of sacrifices uh, to survive. Half of the family is in Colombia, half the family is uh, in the United States. And we talk about this feeling of other and never feeling like you truly belong where you're at and um, relationships and how they get strained and, you know, deportation and, and so much stuff in this conversation. It was really, really impactful. It was really meaningful. I, I really had a great time talking with Patricia. Um, and I, I just know you guys are going to love this book. I, we talk about the fact that it's, it's only 200 pages. It's a really quick book. And just the amount of story that they're able to pack into this, uh, into this book is frankly shocking. I, it's, I, I don't understand how Patricia was able to do it, but um, she did and succeeded in stars. If you want to get a hold of us, you can, of course, always find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Um, you can shoot us an email, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. If you've been enjoying the podcast and you want to leave us a rating in iTunes or wherever you listen, wherever you listen to the podcast, uh, we greatly would appreciate that. Uh, not only does it help people find us a little bit more easily, but it helps make our day. Um, so yeah, if you want to do that, we would, we would love it. I think that's all the housekeeping. Um, but again, if you missed our last week's episode, all about our March preview, the books we're most excited to talk to read this month, uh, Patricia Ingalls' book is in there and you can hear all the other ones as well. So go back and check that out at professionalbooknerds.com. Okay, that's about everything. No more housekeeping from me. I'm going to let you get to this wonderful conversation with Patricia Engel, author of Infinite Country on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Um, so Infinite Country tells the story of a Colombian family fractured by immigration and deportation over a, a period of about um, 20 or so years, beginning in the late 1990s and ending around 2018. So it's a time period that covers um, the late 90s, which was a particularly violent period in Colombia's history, the turn of the millennium, um, 9-11, and all the changes that that brought on in the United States, like the, depart- the rise of the Department Homeland Security, which gave way to ICE, and all the changes um, in the ways that foreigners were perceived in the United States, and how that's led really to the, the present moment. 
So we follow um, a family of five family members, two parents and three children who will all occupy different spaces on this migratory status spectrum. And you get to see how that affects them, all the, the risks and challenges of being a family who has left their homeland to begin a life in another one, and how they struggle to remain a family despite so many years in distance and indefinite separation. There are so many things about this book that I want to get into because it is uh, the amount of, I feel like every review I, I, I looked at so far as people are being like, just stunned that it's it's a quick novel. It's, it's pretty short, it's about 200 pages, but the amount of story that you pack into here is breathtaking. And so I wanna get into how you put together the story, but but first, what made you want to write this type of story now? And I know, I, I know you have, uh, Colombian family, um, but what made you want to write this particular type of story in you know our kind of current uh, societal climate? Well, all my books, this is my fourth book, um, mm -hmm. all my books deal with diaspora and immigration in different ways, whether it's people who are undergoing the process of immigration themselves, or it's first or second generation children of immigrants, um, so that's always been my world. It's my community. It's how I grew up. It's the people closest to me, the people I love most. It's, um, it's just the way that I experience the world. So that's the world of my writing. The story of infinite country, although a lot of people say, oh, it feels very of the moment. It's really not of the moment. It's actually a very old story. It's a very common story. Um, and it's a story that I have seen, um, lived by so many people close to me, mm -hmm. um, people challenged um, by ever-changing immigration laws, uh, laws that one day are seem to be designed to help you, and then the next day they seem to be designed to, um, to force you out, and you never really know what's going to happen. So in a way, this is a story that's been brewing in me my entire life, and uh, it just took me a few other books to get here. Um, but it's always been um, something very urgent in, in my daily reality and the relationship to the people that I love. Um, and at the same time, this is a story about a family in process, right? In the process of diaspora. But really, that's the story of every family in the United States, except those of the indigenous populations. It's just that some people seem to forget that if their family has been in this country for generations already, it was somebody a long time ago in your family line who was the person who made the same decisions and steps or by choice or by force that the characters in Infinite Country are making. Well, and something that, that struck me throughout reading it is this, like, I feel like whenever there's a story, whether it is fictional or, or true, you know, true, true life of, of families that leave a country or come to a different country, whatever it is, there's this, that I feel like something that I was struck by with this is this feeling of other and like a, a lack of connection, both to family and country really for the various characters. Cause there's some characters in this book that are still in Colombia. There's a character who had come to the United States and returned to Colombia, but it felt like, because you get multiple narrators in the story the thing that struck me is that every single one of them was wrestling with this kind of feeling of like, is the grass greener or is the grass actually, do I want to stay here as opposed to making this journey? And so I, 
there there's just this whole aura of like not ever really feeling a, a connection a lot of times to family or to country. And is this, you know, is this something that you've experienced having these, you know, having told now these four novels and, and feeling these, you know, having these conversations and stories surrounding your own life? Like, is that something that feels prevalent to you? Yes. I think that um, the media or politics try to put forth this idea that um, people from other countries are just banging down the doors of the United States and they want to get here. And once they're in, the door is shut. They never look back. They don't want to live anywhere else. Mm-hmm. My experience, all the people that I know who have immigrated um, have a very different reality. And it's one that's full of doubts and full of nuance and often full of regret and profound homesickness mm-hmm. or the land that they left not just the the actual land which is um the connection to one's homeland is is very deep but your family your life everything that you know and there's never the certainty that you made the right choice mm-hmm. unless you're you know you were really in danger or something when you left but a lot a lot of immigrants Um, come here just sort of uh, exploring or um, gambling on a better life. But sometimes it's so challenging that you wonder, maybe we should have just stayed home. So a lot of the immigrants that I know, my parents included, um, sort of, and this is very common, um, maintain this what if space. Mm -hmm. What if we had stayed? And I, as the daughter of immigrants, you know, I have so much family that did not immigrate, that Mm -hmm. did so I have counterpoints. I have cousins who I, my life would have been very similar to theirs had my parents not been the ones to leave. So to leave is like a huge disruption in a family history. You stop being what you were. And that, that space, that chasm gets wider as the generations go on. Right. So my parents are Colombian. I'm Colombian American. And the next generation will be different. And the space will grow. The distance will grow between what we are, what we were. And and that's a huge burden on a person when they know that they're the ones who is are who are taking that step on behalf of all the future generations. So sometimes you don't know if you made the right choice and, and it can be very painful. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is something that I I feel like even like in my own life, I'm always paralyzed by like the what if of a thing that I've decided to do or not. And there's, there's a scene in, uh, near the end of the novel, even where um, Talia, one of the characters, I hesitate to call her the main character because I feel like everyone is the main character in their own story as a part of the novel. But one of the main characters, uh, Talia's, she's kind of laying down, looking at the stars. She can't really sleep. It's one of um, her last nights on her, on her travels. And she mentions kind of like, almost like she feels like she's turning her back on her country. And she goes through this whole thing of like, there's a a thing that happens early in the novel that she does that spurs kind of her whole story. And I don't want to say what that is, but she says like, what if I had done X as opposed to Y? What if I hadn't done this? What if I had done these things? And, And she's asking all these questions. And I do think a lot of times in stories that do involve travel like this where it's kind of you know a little bit of a journey the, what gets lost is the fact that, like you said we never really know if what we're doing is the right decision or how things would have affected someone else and I, I just I I can't stop thinking about how 
that that can really apply to anyone. That doesn't even have to be. That's it's not just a story of someone who is you know emigrated. It it can be. Did you take a different job or what? I I think about that like looking back over a decade ago when I was in college. Like what classes I studied. Like should I have studied a different one? And and I just I love that you. I I feel like Talia is the one who mainly talks about this in the book, but it is prevalent to all of the characters. This like what if I know that this isn't really a question this is more so just me telling you how much I appreciate this aspect of the novel um but it is just so interesting that 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 is so important and how she almost feels like she's turning her back on Columbia mm-hmm. yeah and um it's interesting you say that and I, I appreciate so much your insights because um I live in Miami right and one thing that I I that really made an impression on me when I moved here because I, I live in a largely immigrant community here um, is that there are support groups for loss of homeland. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's such an important acknowledgement. It's and it's something you don't see often, um, that it's so um, meaningful to offer the space to that loss and to acknowledge it like something that means something to people who have left their country, and are, even though they, they might be happy where they are now. But the loss is real, and, and it is a kind of death. It's the death of everything you were before because you're something different now. Um, so what you're saying is, is really important and true that um, we're always looking back somehow, you know, we, we function um, on, in forward motion, right? Mm-hmm. Time is something that propels forward, right? But our interior lives don't exist in a chronology. They, they yeah. don't subscribe to time and open and close chapters of life within us are everything that we have ever experienced or lived is constantly happening again mm-hmm. again through our memory so uh, sometimes that leads to regret and wondering and and uh, and and exploring what might have been uh, along those lines something that struck me I'm wondering as someone who has experience with both a Colombian family and also being here in America um, do you think that there's a difference between how, and I, and I don't want to, this is going to sound like a generalization of a question, so I'm sorry, because I know that everyone is different, but do you think that Talia's father spends a lot of time almost romanticizing how, like these kind of mythological beings and, and stories from Colombia, and like there's even a few parts where she's like, I don't want to hear about this, and then like towards the end, she's like, I really wish I could hear more of those stories. Do you think there's a difference between how Colombians might think of Colombia as opposed to how Americans think of America. And I, and again, I know that it's very different based on the individual person you'll, you'll talk to. Cause as an American, personally, I have been kind of, you know, over the last several years, like disgusted with my own country and it's a very strange feeling. Um, but do you think there's a difference or is it, you know, really family to family, but having experienced so much of this type of story, like, do you see a difference between how the people from the respective countries view their own country? I think every country defines itself by its own stories and the mm-hmm. histories that it chooses to repeat and the, sh- the histories that it chooses to forget. And that's the same in families mm-hmm. and it's the same with individuals. We, are, we each define ourselves by the stories that we have been told about ourselves and the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are and what our lives mean and what we want them to be. So storytelling fa- figures really important you know, largely in infinite countries, as you mentioned, there's 
not only the fact that as you learn, the story is really a chronicle told by one of um, the children of this family and who, who considers herself the family storyteller, the family witness mm-hmm. um, who's, who's assembling the story of the family, but also um, what some people call mythology and others will, you know, uh, will call ancestral knowledge or traditional history. And some people will, will call these folk tales um, or myths and other people will take this as truth and true history. Mm-hmm. So the character of Mauro um, really finds a lot of meaning and, and importance in, um, the, in the traditional knowledge. You learn a bit about um, the indigenous history of the Andean region and how he finds meaning for how he views his place in the world, mm-hmm. how uh, humanity, uh, which has given way to country and borders and all those things, um, how it's defined and where it finds its real origins. Uh, along kind of those lines, you mentioned how the story ends up kind of being a chronology told through one of the family members. I'm always fascinated by when I read a book, how you as the author decide to convey the story you want to convey. And so that is kind of revealed later, but it is, I'm interested in how you came to decide how you wanted to lay out the story. Cause we do get different points of view, but we come to realize that it's sort of one person telling those. So, you know, what kind of came first for you? Like, okay, this is the story I want to tell. And these are the characters and the roles they're going to play. Or did you have characters in mind that you're like, okay, I want to tell a story about a girl who is in a uh, sort of reform school for various reasons and, and things like how, how did it, was it point of view or story that sort of came first for you? Uh, probably the story, if I, mm-hmm. if I had to really break it down, but it's hard to say because things come in different threads and they, they sort of um, find their own connections in my mind and then write themselves out and I'll explore it different ways. Um, so it, it was probably, I knew that I wanted to write a family story, story of a family and um, who was um, going through this, this process, uh, uh, the process mm-hmm. of diaspora in motion. Right. Um, and the story of Talia, who opens the novel when she's escaping from this juvenile correction center, um, that came to me sort of separately. Mm. And um, at a certain point, uh, and this was many years ago, this is maybe almost 10 years ago. Um, at a certain point, these stories converged in my imagination. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, which is our good friends from Literati Kids. Uh, you've heard us talk about Literati for a, a number of episodes now. And uh, the reason we're so proud to be partnering with Literati Kids is just the importance of giving the children in your life books that are going to help them experience new worlds for discovery. Um, you know, with Literati Kids, the children in your life can explore uncharted places every single month. There's spellbounding stories. And of course, every single one of these books is handpicked by experts. Um, if you are relatively new to the podcast, or maybe you haven't heard of our, our other conversations about Literati, Literati Kids, it's a try before you buy a subscription bar, uh, book club. So each month, Literati is going to send you five just beautiful children's books bringing immersive magic of reading right to your home. And it's an age-based book club. So it's going to ensure that whatever age your children are, or your nieces and nephews in my case, 
you know, they're going to be getting books that are perfect for them. And so whether they're snuggling up with you for story time or you're letting them read on their own and you want their imagination to roam free, you know, these books are going to be perfect from them for them. Not only are they just truly beautiful, um, they're thoughtfully tailored by educational experts. And these stories are going to spark new, uh, new interests and, and nurture a healthy curiosity, you know, no more worrying about sorting through hundreds of titles, trying to guess what your children is going to cherish. And also no more, no more reading that same book over and over and over again. And, you know, while they may be enjoying it, it's driving you a little bit nuts as a parent. Literati is going to send you the best in children's literature, and you can choose to purchase the ones that they love and just send the rest back for free. From art and adventure to tales of compassion, each Literati box follows a new enriching theme with personalized extras like stickers, surprises, and special guest work, guest artwork uh, in every single box. If you head to literati.com slash probooknerds, you're going to get 25% off your first two orders. Simply select your child's book club and start them on a literary journey like no other. That's literati.com slash probooknerds. It's the only place you're going to get 25% off your first two orders of this one-of-a-kind book subscription. It's the most joyful way to foster a life love, a life love, lifelong love of learning. Uh, one last time, that's literati.com slash probooknerds. I mean, I'm, I know there was research, but I guess like what type of research goes into a story like this that is very familiar for you, but also it is still, it's a work of fiction that you, that you are putting together. So what type of research did you have to, to do to make sure that you were having things land in the proper way or kind of, you know, make sure you were getting specific locations right or things like that? So what kind of, you know, walk us through how you research this project? Research is really important to me because as a reader, nothing bothers me more well maybe some things bother me more but almost nothing bothers me more than when I'm reading something and I realize this writer did not do their research (laughs) or I realize I know more about the subject than they do (laughs) Um, so things like that just drive me crazy as a reader right um so I take uh research so seriously maybe too seriously um, I will even things that come from autobiographical experience, I will research because mm-hmm. I'm, I doubt my own memory. I doubt my own perceptions, you know, just because I remember something a certain way doesn't mean that that is accurate. So um, I'm a huge researcher because I love I love diving deeply into things. There's also something that, that matters to me, which is that I want other people who have that firsthand insider experience to something that I'm writing about to feel like I treated the, the material and the story with respect, mm-hmm. uh, with compassion, with integrity, with honor, and that I got it right. Um, because also as a reader, there's you know nothing worse than when you're reading about something that you know about mm-hmm. and you feel like the writer uh, treated it superficially. Uh, so, um, this uh, book is born from a lot of firsthand experience. Um, mm-hmm. It's largely set in Bogota, which is my mother's hometown, mm-hmm. where I have a lot of family. So I know Bogota very well. But at the same time, um, I'm not a tour guide or an expert or a historian. So mm-hmm. that, 
I, I have to do a lot of research there as well. Um, there's a lot of ancestral stories that I grew up with at the same time. There's a lot that I didn't mm-hmm. um, that are particular maybe to different um, parts of the country, to different regions. And so there's a lot of research that went in there. Uh, like I said, I know a lot of people who've been affected and challenged by um, the immigration process. And, um, you know, these are, I could tell you a thousand anecdotes and stories about this happens to this person, but I need to do research about the mm-hmm. legal aspects to make sure that I get things right. So um, I, I'm, I get really deep into research, but as a reader, another thing that bothers me, I keep talking about things that bother me as a reader, <laughs> but, uh, is that when you're reading something that's fiction and then you realize you're reading research, right mm-hmm. that that's not fun either so the goal as a writer is to make everything feel so informed and truthful in a way that feels natural and true to the characters that are living it you know they're not um textbooks uh, yeah. informers um they're just living their lives mm-hmm. um, and everyone's an expert on their own life and i want my characters to be experts on their own life yeah i'm laughing because you're just talking about you know, things that annoy you as a reader. We just, we actually, a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode of the podcast of, of um, books my co-host and I don't like and why. And we've been doing this podcast for five years and we'd never done anything like that. Um, and we were really nervous about it, but everyone wanted to hear that. Like they were like, no, tell us why you don't like books. And we had such wonderful feedback from people that was like, this is really helpful and informative for how they choose their own books to read. So it's so funny you say that because like I feel like we as as readers and as writers, you never want to say like, here's what I don't like about a book, but it's so weird how like receptive people are. So I don't know. It's just, that's just, that's such a fascinating thing that you're, you're, you're kind of laughing about it. And we laughed about it too. We're like, all right, I guess I'll give you a recommendation list of non-recommendations. Like, I don't know how to, but it is, it's like exactly what you said. If you're reading a book that's fiction and it feels like you're just reading an essay, like about a historical place, you're like, the okay, you've proved your point. Like there is that fine line of saying, clearly I understand this subject, but I want it to come through from a, a teenager's voice or someone who hasn't been there in a while. Like it's a fine line to walk. Yeah, uh, absolutely. absolutely. And that's, that's, that's the art of writing really. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the fun part. Um, but uh, I was just thinking about, uh, my husband and I went to see a film that uh, there was a scene set in Florida, mm-hmm. and there was a wide shot, and it was supposed to be like the west coast of Florida, and there were mountains in the background. <laughs> and we're like, "What? Mount the mountains of Florida? Those famous, yeah, those famous oh, Florida mountain ranges." It makes you cast doubt on the entire movie, right? Yeah. And if you're playing with the books, you're just like, oh my gosh, if they didn't care enough to shoot this in a place that's flat, <laughs> Florida. And later on, we saw that it had been filmed in like Romania or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we obviously could not get away from the mountains there. Yeah. But this say it has the same effect in a book. Once you see something glaring like that in a book, mm-hmm. you're just like, come on, no. Um. That's uh, unrelated to writing, but there was, I was, I watched a movie this weekend that it's just like a throwaway comedy, like something that I just wanted something to watch that it was a, it was a Saturday night. I was tired. And I was like, I just watch something mindless. 
and I didn't know this. I started watching it and all of a sudden it was shot. The person is from literally where I grew up. Didn't know that like the character and they shot it there. And it was so deadly accurate. Like they went to, you could tell that their budget was pretty low because they would go to restaurants that are in my hometown and they didn't even bother like changing the names. They were just like, no, that's going to be called what it's called in real life because we don't want to make new sets. And that also like took me out of it because all I could, I was like looking in the background of the movie, like what else from my hometown is in this? It was very, very disconcerting, but I'd rather have that (laughs) than there are no mountains in Northeastern Ohio either. So that would take me out of it. Um, what was the most challenging aspect of writing this story for you? Well, every aspect is challenging. Uh, <laughs> probably the, I think for any book, not just this book, the challenging aspect. I mean, there, there are, there are challenges in the book that are also the greatest rewards, you know, revising, mm. drafting, editing. That's so hard, but it's like, wow, it's, it's so rewarding. Sometimes the hardest part is letting go of it. Mm. Especially when, when your publisher is like, it's time, you know, we got to send this thing to print. And you're like, oh, I can't change another word. <laughs> um, that's, that's a hard part. Um, but at the same time, it, it can be no other way, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I've, we've heard that a lot from other authors who talk about the, the strange aspect of writing where while you're drafting it and while you're editing it, And even like while you're promoting it before the release date, it's still your book. And then the moment that it gets released, it becomes the reader's book. And it's, um, I've I've heard so many people say like, it's a really hard thing to do to say, okay, this is the best version of this that I can release to the world. (laughs) I need to stop making edits and I need to, to share it. Do you find yourself being able to detach yourself from a book once you once you write it or is it still are you one of those people who you want to go and like see reviews and see what other people think about the book and like are you able to say like okay infinite country is out in the world I'm going to go work on something else now or or does it kind of stay with you it's a bit of both because when a book comes out you've got to talk about it a lot mm-hmm want to talk about people who are just reading it now for them it's new yeah I've been living with this book for a few years already um but for other people they're just encountering it for the first time so they want to talk about it and um so I'm I'm happy to do that sometimes it's a little hard to immerse yourself in a new project when you're still talking about one that you wrote years ago Mm -hmm. um but it's also um it's also wonderful. It's wonderful to talk to people who are just um, experiencing the story for, for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a strange thing for me as a writer because I see the books as a part of me in the sense that I remember every single day that I wrote a particular sentence down. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a reader opens a book and, and they're just seeing a story. For me, I'm seeing my life. I see um, what was happening that morning that I sat down to, re- to, to write. And so my life is in the book too. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, every page that a writer writes is time they're taking from something else mm-hmm. in their life. Um, so, so I have kind of a dual experience when I look at my books. I see not only the story that came out of me, but I see, uh, I see my life, mm-hmm. you know, moments in my life. 
it's interesting you you phrase it that way because to me the the book itself really reminds me a lot of of growing up um in the sense that as you you know the the various characters as they are on their their you know their travels and their trials and tribulations and the um, the matriarch and patriarch of his family get separated for a, a certain reason in the book. And um, they sort of lose touch for a while in the sense that like they lose that daily connection that we feel. And I feel like I felt that on a visceral level because I, it made me think of my own family. I'm very close to my own family and I live pretty close to my family, but I still even talking to my parents every day on FaceTime, especially this past year, because we haven't been able to, I haven't hugged my mom and, <laughs> 12 months i feel like a lot of the novel it's reflective of growing up because you you move out of your childhood home you don't see your parents every day even if you do it's not the same of like sharing a meal every single day and 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 it's i think i feel like the book has a lot to do with growing up in the sense of like people coming and going from homes that they came to understand um is that kind of I'm a very nostalgic person. So maybe that's what that's maybe me like imprinting myself onto the story. But are those things that you're thinking of as well as you mentioned every moment you're writing is a moment you're not being able to have an experience with family or whatever it is. Do you feel that kind of nostalgia and growing up as you're writing these types of stories? Or again, is this me entirely imprinting myself onto your work? Well, I, I, I you know, I appreciate what you're saying. Um, I'm obviously a nostalgic person. I wouldn't be a writer. <laughs> I think no, I'm a writer. That's fair. Um, but um, also you said something else that I think is really interesting and true. Um, I obviously wrote Infinite Country um, years ago and mm. uh, we had no idea what was coming now with the pandemic. We're now entering year two of, of this pandemic, right? Mm. And um, I have always known families who have been separated from loved ones for years. And uh, sometimes people leave their homelands and they never see their parents that they left again. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. Um, But I think something that's interesting now and maybe will cause people to read Infinite Country a bit differently is that a lot of people are getting a sense of what it's like to be separated from your loved ones for reasons that are completely out of your control. A lot mm-hmm. of people have not seen, you know, their parents or siblings or close friends who live in the same city or in the same state, you yeah. know, um, for going on a year now. And we don't know how things um, are going to pan out yet. So I think maybe some, some people are getting just a small taste of of what's that like maintaining relationships um, despite not being able to see each other or celebrate together or uh, be witnesses to each other's lives in the way that you used to and you can do nothing about it Mm -hmm. and even now we're getting a taste of wow all the borders are closed to us americans Mm -hmm. other countries will not let us in yeah and uh that's something that is a a really new experience for most Americans. Um, so it, it's interesting, maybe that will cause them to see the family in um, an infinite country in, in a new eyes. Yeah, it is in a, in a story about, you know, country, you know, fam- a family being separated by a country and for you know reasons of, you know, deportation and, and immigration and things. It is, I, felt like I connected to it on such a cellular level because of that. Like there's these just little brief moments where they're talking 
on FaceTime basically. And one of them even saying like, I just, I'm just looking at my parents seeing each other on a digital screen. And like, you want to make this connection. Like I have nieces and nephews who some of them are old enough to like understand this weirdness, but some of them aren't. And I'll like see my two-year-old niece and I'll want to make a connection with her. And all she is sees is her, her uncle on a screen. And she's like, okay, bye. And like, she runs away and I'm like heartbroken. Cause I'm like, I want to share a moment with you, but it's so hard to do. And, and I do think people reading infinite country will, especially now will really feel that because it, it felt it's such a relatable topic about, especially now, unfortunately with separation. And I feel like we're all yearning for those moments where, cause there are a few moments in the book where like people are able to see each other and hug each other. And I was like moved to tears just thinking about that. And I think you're right. I think people will read the book and say, oh, wow, I, I better understand perhaps what they're going through. So again, not a question. I'm doing a really bad job of asking you questions here, but um, no, it's, I just think it's beautiful. I, I think that's such an important thing that I hope people see in the book. Thank you. Yeah. So I, we, we like to at, end some of our episodes by asking what's a little bit of a light more lighthearted couple of questions. We call them the nerd nine just because we like alliteration. So these are, they were meant to be rapid fire, but I used to call them that. And we would get emails from people being like, Adam, you go on tangents, please stop calling these nerd, this <laughs> rapid fire. So it's not. Um, so the, the first one is just, what's the last book you finished reading? Okay. The last book that I finished reading um, oh, I just read the upcoming book uh, by Carolina de Robertis. It's called The President and the Frog, and it's uh, coming out this summer. And it's really brilliant. Also a short book, and I'm really excited for, for people to read that one. Nice. Uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, I love to read um, either by the beach. So I love to read outdoors, sometimes by the beach. But I'm also a big night reader. I like just hang out on the sofa and read in the evenings. I had a feeling you were going to say beach and I could just, I knew we were, no one else is going to hear the beginning of our conversation. We were joking about our respective weather. Patricia is in Miami. I'm in Northeast Ohio. So the idea of reading on a beach and not freezing my butt off sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the book that sort of made you fall in love with reading when you were a kid? Uh, there were many. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe my earliest favorite was the Rats of Nim book. Um, but I think uh, when I was around age 14 or 15 was when um, books really took on a different power and force in my life. And I mm-hmm. realized that I wanted to write books myself. And I was heavily into um, journals. I was kind of a, a really obsessive journaler. So I was really into reading the journals of famous writers like hmm. Albert Camus and Anaïsian. Interesting. Yeah. Um, this is a weird question to ask now, but we've been asking it anyway still. When we're allowed to travel again, where is one place you'd like to go that you have not yet been to? Well, that I, I was the first, I was going to say I, I want to see my family, but okay. place where I have not been to, um, Let's see. Um, I uh, I really want to go to um, Vienna, Austria. Mm. I've never been there, and my grandfather was from there. Nice. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? For my family, the biggest holiday celebration um, is uh, 
Christmas Eve, which we call Noche Buena, December 24th. It's my favorite. That is a that is a part of the novel. That makes sense to me. Um, do you are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee. I I, I drink uh, Colombian coffee, black with no sugar, no cream. Mm. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Cats. I have three, but I love dogs. <laughs> cats are great writing companions. <laughs> Well, I uh, do. little doggy behind you. I do. Yeah. He's, this is Remy. Everyone who listens to the podcast is familiar with him because this is where he stays when I record. He sleeps and uh, <laughs> happy as a little clam back there. Um, do you have a favorite food? Yes. Um, Colombian again. Mm-hmm. Very plain, simple food. There's like white flour, corn cakes, but uh, just with uh, some butter and salt. That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. And then if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? My grandmother. Okay, last question for you, Patricia. What do you hope readers take away from reading your book? Well, that's a big question. (laughs) I can never tell someone how to read something, but the whole um, mission of everything that I write is really to try to do something for humanity, expand people's humanity and compassion. Um, this is a story of one family, but as I mentioned, I think it's the story of almost every family because mm-hmm. the human species is a migratory species. That's how we've ensured our own survival. So n- nearly every human on earth has either experienced migration or diaspora or is the product of someone else making that um, decision to migrate for better resources or options in in life. So I hope that people will see maybe a bit of themselves that they haven't thought about in some time in the family and infinite country. Perfect, the book is beautiful and I loved every single sentence of it. Patricia, thank you for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much, I so enjoyed it. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.